Well, what is going on? Pastor Chris Steven here with you on the Harbor, continuing the conversation podcast. And if you didn't listen to the last episode on the podcast, we started a brand new collection, a discussion on what it looks like to start the year 2023 with a refocused vision, refocusing our minds, being in a, a a journey of prayer together as a ministry. In fact, uh, right now as I record this, we're about halfway through our 21 days together praying and fasting through the beginning of this year. And so with that, last week we talked about what it looks like to refocus our heart's affections and our eyes' attention back on Jesus. What it looks like to focus our thoughts back on Jesus. And I'm super excited about this episode because we have with us our very own pastor of Bay Hope Church, Pastor Matthew Hartsfield, who's going to be presenting God's Word on this episode. And if you're unfamiliar with who the Harbor is, what we do, we are a, uh, a ministry uh, uh, of Bay Hope Church, which is a church in Lutz, and so as a part of that, uh, we serve a greater body of believers, not just at USF, but in Hillsborough County and in Tampa and beyond. And so I'm excited for this episode for Pastor Matthew to share with you our week two on what it looks like to refocus uh, our, our lives on Jesus. So that's where we're going to be on this episode of the Continuing the Conversation podcast. Buckle in. It's going to be an awesome, awesome time. Let's go. For those of you I don't know and haven't met, my name is Matthew, Matthew Hartsfield. I'm lead pastor at Bay Hope Church, uh, of which the harbor is a part here. Uh, It's basically our USF campus, and we're glad that all of you are here. And uh, I'm here tonight uh, on behalf of Pastor Chris, Pastor Chris, as well as uh, Laura on staff and Armand as well, uh, one of the students in the ministry. Uh, They're up in Atlanta. They're at Passion City, kind of sharing some best practices about uh, college and uh, that generational ministry. Because I want you to know, Pastor Chris is always, he's always thinking about you. Uh, He's always praying for you. He's always looking for uh, how to best help every one of you move into a deeper relationship with God to experience and express your best lives in Jesus Christ. Uh, And so it's great that he's off on a trip like this, uh, and and Laura with him, Armand, uh, so that they can continue uh, to, to know how to best take next steps and move into new levels of ministry here at the harbor. Uh, So pray for Pastor Chris, pray for Laura, pray for Armand uh, as they're uh, sharing in these best practices with the staff up at Passion City. And I'm basically just continuing in the process that Pastor Chris began last week and I began last Sunday in this kind of tandem series that we're doing uh, at, at Lakeshore and West Chase campuses and here at the harbor on refocusing. Can you just say refocus? Yeah, that's what a new year is for. That's what a new year, a new semester uh, that you're all in is all about. It's, 
It's about an opportunity to rethink, to reframe, to refocus, sort of to re-up about what life can be, what life can be horizontally with others and vertically with God, and to refocus all of that. And that's why we've been doing the 21-day prayer guide, and I hope a lot of you grabbed the prayer guide last week as well. If not, uh, Kate, Chase, I assume there's still prayer guides out there? Yes, yeah, grab, grab a prayer guide uh, out near the coffee counter because we'd love for you. Hundreds and hundreds are walking through this 21-day prayer journey together. So, so join us in that. And last week, we talked about how to begin the refocusing by refocusing our hearts and minds. And that then leads into refocusing body and soul. Because what this is all about is understanding how to move from basically a disintegrated life to an integrated life. Because the truth is, most of us, most of us experience disintegration. Most of us live fragmented lives. We, we love to put our lives in buckets, in, in boxes. We, we, we love to kind of create firewalls. And, and, and we think of our, our heart over here where our emotions and, and, and feelings are. We, we think of our mind over here in, in the intellect box and, and thoughts that we have. Uh, we, we, think, we think of our, our soul, uh, the, the, the very uh, image of God, the, the very seed of the will that God has placed within us as in kind of this religious box. And then we think of our bodies in completely different boxes, especially with what culture is telling us about putting our body over here in a different box. And it's no wonder that we experience throughout all of culture, not just your generation, but all generations, high increasing levels of stress, anxiety, fear, depression. I talk to psychologists in our church. I talk to counselors quite often about this. And they're saying it's almost rising to epidemic levels. And they all agree that it's because we lead disintegrated lives instead of integrated lives. Experiencing a wholeness, experiencing a sense of integration of who we are without putting on any face, no pretense, no masks, no game playing. Because that's a lot of what culture tries to make us do, is, is to be disintegrated, is to, to play a false self. Instead of getting comfortable in our own skin, and comfortable with what God has placed within us and wants to draw out from us. Now, when we talk about how to begin to look at this integration piece, I want to begin by, by looking at this the, the way that Paul, the apostle who planted all the original churches 2,000 years ago and then wrote back letters to those churches, which comprise much of the New Testament of Scripture, how he addressed some of these issues. Uh, in fact, uh, in Romans, when he wrote to the Christians in Rome in chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, and if you've got a, uh, an app or Bible device, whatever you're using, feel free to follow along there. Uh, we're going to have this uh, up on the, the screen as well. In fact, let me, let me move over here so you can maybe read that a little better when it's up there. This is what he said to the Christians in Rome. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living, holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. 
Now, this is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, when Paul says, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. What most people do is they look at a very uh, truncated version of the scripture. They, they look at a very sort of small bandwidth, a very narrowed aperture of scripture. And, and a lot of people, when, when they hear Paul talk about body, they only think they're always talking about like sins of the flesh, as it's been called, sexual sins. That's all he's talking about, give your bodies to God. But what Paul is talking about is a deeper theology of integration here, of making sure that our hearts and minds and souls and bodies are experiencing a whole life integration, not just what we do with the sexual aspect of our bodies, but everything in our lives dedicated and devoted to what God's purposes will be in and through you. In fact, Eugene Peterson, in his message Bible paraphrase, tries to get at this the way other scholars approach it as well. And here's his version of that first verse. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around, going to school life, and place it before God as an offering. So Peterson's getting at this deeper theological place of the scripture that Paul is talking about this whole life integration of body, heart, mind, and soul as an offering to God. And what's striking about this is when he says here in the scripture, it's, it's, a, it's an image you've got to get in your heads. He says, let your bodies, let, let the integration of all your, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind you will find acceptable. Now remember, he's talking uh, to a, a largely uh, Judaic background audience here who would have a, a lot of Jewish understanding about this. And when he talks sacrifice, not just among the Jewish people of the ancient Middle East, but among all pagan societies who worship God or the gods, when you heard the word sacrifice, you would think of animal sacrifice. A goat, a ram, a bull, a dove, whatever that sacrifice might be, uh, to be put on the altar, slain on the altar, burned on the altar, to, to be this sacrifice to God. Now, Jesus Christ, the Son of God that, that Paul is proclaiming, he ended that sacrificial process of trying to get right with God over and over and over again by all these sacrifices. He became the one full, perfect, sufficient sacrifice for humanity's sins, the one perfect altar offering, the one perfect sacrifice. So why is he asking us now to be a sacrifice on the altar? Notice he's talking about us being a living holy sacrifice on the altar. We, 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 don't, we don't sacrifice ourselves. We, we, yes, the Bible says take up your cross, but it doesn't say be crucified on the cross. Only Jesus could do that. Only he was perfect and sufficient to be there. What we're sacrifice, what we are asked to do is to take our living every day, like he said, going to work, going to school, eating, sleeping, breathing, interacting, let everything be a sacrifice to God on the altar for God. 
And this is what's interesting about that. When you put those bulls and goats and rams and doves on the altar, they were killed before going on the altar. Now he's saying you need to be a living holy sacrifice on the altar. What's wrong with that? What if you put a living goat on an altar today? What would it do? It'd take off. It'd scurry off as quick as it could. And, and that's exactly the problem with us. When, when, when we put ourselves on the altar of God, what is our, ho- our heart always prone to do? To wander. To move. To drift away from that holy, perfect sacrifice. And so they were dealing with this 2,000 years ago. We're dealing with this today. This is what he's getting at about surrendering ourselves to God in this way. Now, he continues to talk about this, not just with the Christians in Rome, but the Christians in Corinth in ancient Greece. And he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. Now, that's not very popular in this particular culture. You do not belong to yourself. God bought you with a high price. That's Jesus. So you must honor God with your body. Again, let me, let me use a, a Eugene Peterson message paraphrase to help put this in some different language. The same passage. Didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place? The place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see you can't live however you please? Squandering what God paid such a high price for? This physical part of you is not some piece, it's not just some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. God owns all of you, heart, mind, body, soul. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in and through your body. God owns the whole works. And where we might see that as bad news or limiting news or, or put a crimp in our style news, it's good news that God is in charge and God owns the whole of us because then we can begin to rest and relax and move with the flow of what God is wanting to do to bless and favor and anoint rather than fighting against the current by leading these fragmented, disintegrated lives, trying to go our own way. You see, God made you, God created you, God handcrafted you, and you are precious to God. I don't know if you know this, but you're cogpows. C-O-G-P-O-W. You are creations of God and persons of worth. You're a cogpow. Now, all 7 billion plus people on the planet are cogpows. We're all creations of God and persons of worth. What God invites you in Jesus Christ to do is to become Cogpow 2.0. And that is to move from being a creation of God and person of worth to a child of God and person of worth. To be adopted into the family of God and to be, and to be reconciled with the Father as his daughters and sons. That's why he says that Our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. God's very presence, God's dwelling place, which they used to think of in Old Testament Scripture, 
before Jesus Christ, they, they, they used to consider that the dwelling place of God was in the actual physical temple, in the inner room, the Holy of Holies, the inner sanctum. And a lot of symbolism and rituals around that particular understanding of where God's presence was truly to be found, sacrificed to, and experienced. And then Jesus came, and Jesus said, hey, time out. I am now the temple of God. I'm the living presence of God. I am all of divinity wrapped in humanity. I am all of God in flesh and blood and bone and tissue. But then Jesus was crucified, dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. But he said, that's good news because I'm not going to leave you alone as orphans. I'm not going to abandon you. You now, when you surrender to me as Lord and Savior, you, in that moment, become indwelled by the Holy Spirit the very presence of God. You're the temples of God. That's why this is so important to lead lead these integrated whole lives because we are now the dwelling place of God. We are the temple of God. We're that light on a hill, Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. Like a city shining in the night for all to see. We don't hide it under a basket. We, we are the light now. That's why it's so critical. It matters so much why we lead these integrated lives. Because we're, we're God's plan A for what this world understands of God. D.L. Moody, the, uh, the old-time evangelist, used to say, you're the only Bible most people will ever read. You know, well, what are they reading? That's that's why, you know, he he concludes here by saying, uh, you must honor God with your body. Peterson says, so let God, let people see God in and through your body, the whole integrated part of your life. So, so it begs the questions. Here's the reality shift here. Uh, These questions. So how do you do that? How do you integrate your mind, heart, body, and soul? How do you prevent living a fragmented life? How can you experience wholeness and health? If we, if we understand that, that this is, is how to experience your best life, it's how to experience wholeness and health, peace. It's how to move from fragmentation and stress and anxiety and trying to pretend and, and, and you know, trying to put on a game face and just having this integrated life. that you don't have to manufacture or constantly strive for, but that you can relax and rest in what God is doing in and through you. How do you do that? How does that occur? Well, it's disarmingly simple. It's strikingly clear and direct. And Jesus talked about it. He said, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Everyone say, rest for my soul. soul. I I was sharing with Jay and Ricky earlier, kind of reminding me, I've been doing vocational ministry now as a pastor for uh, 37 years. And if I had to sum up what, what I believe 
all the conversations, all the spiritual direction, all the counseling, every interaction, if I could sum it up, the heart of what people are searching for in this world across generations, across countries. I've ministered in Tanzania. I've ministered in Thailand. I've ministered in Cuba, in Central America, and all over the world. And it's the same. The one thing that people are looking for is peace. That kind of rest for the soul, that peace for the soul, that's not striving and anxious and yearning. and That's just so comfortable in your skin. It's what, it's what the Jews call in Hebrew shalom. Now we translate shalom with the word peace, but for most of us, in, in, in the Western uh, English-speaking world, peace just means cessation of hostilities. But for the ancient Hebrews, it meant this, not just cessation of hostilities, it meant a deep-centered wholeness to rest in. That's, I believe, the yearning of the soul because you're created in the image of God. And as Augustine used to tell us, your heart will not find rest until it finds rest in God. And we wonder why we're such a frenzy culture, such a touchy culture, such an easily offended culture, because none of us have any real peace. None of us have any real rest. And so Jesus used this, obviously, in the first century, he used an agricultural metaphor about a yoke if you don't understand what a yoke is, it was an ancient uh, farming implement that craftsmen and carpenters would make to put around the neck of, of, of donkeys and particularly ox in order to pull carts and to pull plows, to plow up a field for planting. And it was always in the first century and, and well before that and quite some time after that, Farmers who could afford it would search high and low for the best carpenter, the best craftsman to make their yokes because they knew that the more custom-fitted, sanded down, custom-tailored the yokes were on the ox, the less it would chafe, cut, the, the more productive the ox would be and the more relaxed the ox would be. Now, Jesus is talking here as someone who grew up with a father, and then he, in the business after, was a craftsman, carpenter. The word in, 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 in Greek, it, it actually means uh, really contractor, handyman, not just carpenter. But so, so Jesus grew up understanding. He probably made some yokes. And he knew how prized, custom-fitted, smooth yokes would be. And if you were an ancient Jew, you knew that there were a lot of rabbis. Jesus was just one of many rabbis. And every rabbi had their disciples. Jesus had his 12 in particular. Others had theirs. And there were very famous rabbis like Rabbi Gamaliel and Rabbi Hillel. And, and every rabbi, when they would teach their students, their disciples, it was called their yoke. Hopefully this is now fitting together in your heads, okay? Rabbis would say to a student, uh, yoke yourself to me. In the image of 
how farmers typically did it, two ox together being yoked. Yoke yourself with me, move with me, as I'm teaching my school of thought. And Jesus was addressing in that day when, when he said, take my yoke upon you, let me teach you. Because when he says here, because I'm humble and gentle at heart, most of the other rabbis were teaching a harsh, stiff, chafing, cutting yoke of legalism and religiosity. That's why Jesus came, to break that up and to give us the true heart of the Father God, to break down religiosity and give us relationship. Amen? And so he's saying, take my yoke. Be co-yoked with me. And typically what farmers would do if they had several ox is they would take a weak ox and yoke it with a stronger ox. And so in this particular illustration that Jesus is giving, who do you suppose is the strong ox and who's the weak ox? Okay. Yes, even you would be the weak ox. You know who I'm looking at. Okay. And, and if you're going to be yoked with Jesus, you're going to be in that, that place with Jesus, in his school of thought that's humble and gentle, it, do you notice that, that it means something in particular? If you're yoked together as ox, you cannot help but do what? Move in the same direction. If you're yoked with Jesus, it means you're moving in the same direction with Jesus. You're going to the best places with Jesus. You're going to the best life, the blessed life, ultimately the blessed eternal life with Jesus. And so it means also, not just you're going in the same direction with Jesus, but as you're going in that direction, it means that he's sharing the load with you. Amen? You're not carrying the load alone. You're not in this by yourself. You're not abandoned like orphans, Jesus said in John chapter 14. I'm with you. You're not in this by yourself. We're doing this together. Which is why Jesus shared what his job description was all about. Do you know that Jesus had a job description? Yeah, but before he gave us the job description, he gave us Satan's job description, his enemy, your enemy. The very personification of all evil, hurt, and pain, and war, and violence, and corruption, and injustice. He said, I'll tell you Satan's job description. John chapter 10, verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Or Satan wants to steal your energy, kill your joy, destroy your hope. He can't take you out. He doesn't have permission. He doesn't have the power. But he can make your life miserable. He can hassle you. He can steal your joy and kill your energy and rob you of your hope. Jesus said, that's what his job, Jesus said, now, do you want to hear my job description? And, 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 and what is it? Let, let's read Jesus' job description. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus came that you would have life. Not just get by life, 
Not just eke it out life. Not just kind of barely survive life. But what kind of life? Full life. Abundant life. And we do that by being yoked with the master and integrating, focusing heart and mind and body and soul, surrendering ourselves as a living sacrifice in the altar, giving it all to Jesus, trusting him with it, however imperfect or messed up we are. And sometimes, you know, we're not just imperfect. Sometimes we're just a dumpster fire, amen? I'd say, here, it all goes on the altar. This, this living holy sacrifice, it all goes on the altar. Because I don't know about you, but I want rest. I want peace. I want humility. I want gentleness. All that he says his yoke is about. So I have to be willing to say, like Paul, God, you own the whole works. You own the whole works. So take all these puzzle pieces I am and fit them together under your hand, God. Make me whole. Let me experience your shalom, your peace, your favor, your anointing, your hope, your humility, your gentleness. I don't want... I don't want to cede one last little thing to the thief. I don't want the thief taking one more little teeny piece of my life. I only want abundant life in its deepest, fullest sense, which is emotional, social, relational, yes, financial. But it's everything, amen. Wow, what an incredible word from our very own Pastor Matthew Hartsfield. I hope that as you were listening to that, you were encouraged that you were hope-filled to refocus your life. And so, man, what an incredible word. We're so honored. We're so privileged to have a pastor who um, not only preaches these things, but he lives this thing, these things. And so, man, what, a, what an incredible word. Hey, just uh, before we get out of here, uh, I just want to end on this note. Um, we are about to journey into uh, signups for our community groups. One of the huge pillars of the harbor is that we want and we believe that there is growth in being connected in a group. And so for you, you may be listening to this, never have come to the harbor before at USF, and you need connection, you need community. We want to help you navigate that and help connect you into and curate a community in Christ. So uh, Tuesday the 24th, that's going to be our community group sign-up. We have community groups that meet all over the city, all different days, all different times, we have some incredible, incredible community group leaders. You want to get, you want to get connected into that. So hey, make sure next Tuesday, the twenty fourth of January, you're at the Harbor eight p.m. as we dive in to connecting with others and curating a community. Hey, it's been a pleasure. It's been awesome to have you join us. Until next time, I'm out. <laughs>